God, it's an honor and a privilege to be in your presence in this time of communion. Thank you for allowing us into the throne room of grace, and thank you for meeting us in this place. And thank you for the mercy that you show to us, even though it's, well, it's not always deserved, but it is freely given because of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, there is a saying that I, I have to be honest, it troubles me at times. I, I don't know if this saying troubles you or not, but it's, it's one of those sayings that gets to me. It's the saying, out with the old and in with the new. Now, there are some times that certainly sounds like a great thing. I mean, I don't know about you. Some of you are old enough to remember the day of the old outhouse. I'm kind of glad that's mostly gone away. Out with the old and in with the new. It's a good thing uh, to have things new sometimes. Now, there are other times I'm not so fond of this notion of out with the old and in with the new. Maybe you struggle at times with that too. I, I find myself, uh, as I progress through the years a little bit, and now I'm more on the outs than the ins, so to speak. I, I, I don't always like this idea of out with the old, closely, especially the longer and the older that I get. It's a phrase that troubles us, and sometimes it troubles us not just because of the concept of how it, it might affect us and how someone else will treat us, but it affects us, uh, if we're honest, right, it's, uh, it's something we struggle with sometimes in ourselves. Uh, we struggle to get rid of the old in us, the old man of sin, as it's called, or the old person that we used to be. Sometimes we struggle to say out with the old and in with the new. Sometimes it's hard to let go of the past. Jesus, however, is the one who came up with this concept in many ways. I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul. It speaks to a, a mission that he was given by Christ himself. Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. Like it or not, you are to be out with the old <laughs> and in with the new. Jesus has a lot to say about the idea of things being made new, and it's, re, it's reiterated throughout uh, the writings of the apostles. Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 4 that we have to put on a new mind, a new way of thinking about things. He says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Elsewhere, Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 2, that you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind, being made new. He calls us to a new mind. It's not a new thing, though. God's been calling us to the new since way in the Old Testament. Even the prophet Ezekiel talked of God giving us a new heart, he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and a new spirit that he'll put in our hearts. This is an interesting idea, things that are new, a new way of thinking, a new way of understanding, a new way of seeing the world. Elsewhere, we're told that we are to put on the new self by Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. And I love that verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. 
We read these words, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, if the old life wasn't very rewarding or fulfilling or, or it wasn't the things you want to be, the idea of the new life is exciting. If you have the mindset that says, I'm a pretty good person, I don't need to change, the new life might not be something you're so much looking forward to. You think, well, what's this about? What changes will God do in me? And the truth is, if we're honest, every one of us struggles at times with change, even if it's change for the better. And while we often cling to the old, the comfortable, the familiar, I want to tell you that God is a God who likes doing new things. Consider this. Consider the words of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 18 through 20. Isaiah writes, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give to my people, my chosen. We'll talk a lot more about those streams in just a few moments, but Isaiah wanted us to gather. God wants to do things new. A few chapters later in Isaiah 65, 17, we read these words again of the Lord, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. Something Peter reiterates in 2 Peter 3.13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven, to a new earth where righteousness dwells. I want you to understand that sometimes God does a new thing. And we have to be open to the thing that God would have us to do that might be new or different. But as I said, I talked with a colleague this last week, and as I told him about the idea I had for the sermon and where I wanted to go today, he said, I don't like it. I said, why don't you like it? He said, because you're, you're calling me to change how I think and how I act, and I don't want to change. I like my life the way it is. If that's where you are, you are exactly where Moses was. I want to center our sermon time today in two events in the life of Moses as we read about the first in Exodus chapter 17. This is a story of, of when God has just gotten the Israelites out of Egypt They've just crossed the Red Sea. He's just provided them with manna uh, and quail. He's given them what they need uh, to sustain themselves and to survive. And it's in that moment that, that Moses is asked by God to do something. It's pretty unique. It's, it's not the way you normally get water. It's definitely what we'd call a new thing that God wants to do. And we read it in Exodus 17, and it starts with this word, about the Israelites, remember, they've just escaped Egypt. They've just started their journey. Uh, we're just beginning uh, this journey to the promised land. It says in Exodus 17, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin 
traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Now picture this, right? We've just escaped bondage and slavery. And the people are angry because it's hard. They're thirsty. And the journey to freedom, the journey to the promised land isn't easy. And they quickly start to grumble and to complain. There's a unique thing that I encourage you, if you've never done it, to do a study of the life of Moses. Go back and, and read those stories from Exodus uh, and the, the next four books of the Bible there, to, to just to look at the way that Moses and God interact with each other. One of the things that's really important about that relationship is the honesty they have with one another. Uh, the way that God speaks to Moses is pretty unique in the way that Moses speaks to God. In fact, there are times they both tell each other how angry they are with the people. Sometimes it's Moses, and God seems to say to Moses, okay, Moses, just calm down a little bit, it'll be okay. And sometimes it's God who, who is, is like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm, I regret that I even made these people. And Moses is like, well, you know, you shouldn't wipe them out because that would look really bad. It's a really interesting dialogue between Moses and God. Fascinating to see it. But what's true most of the time in Moses' life is that when he has a problem, he talks to God about it. And let me just say on the, on the front end of this thing, if we're going to talk about God doing a new thing or what's next, talking to God is essential. And listening to God is essential. Moses does pretty good on the first at times, he struggles on the second to listen. That might be true for a lot of us. We're quick to pray, to talk to God. We're maybe not always so quick to listen to what God's trying to tell us through his word and through his messengers. Well, Moses cries out to God and he says, Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, and I want you to listen very carefully to the verbs that he uses in the story. Go out in front of the people. Stop. God, they're ready to stone me. They want to kill me. And the first thing God says is, Moses, go stand right in front of them where you'll be an easy target. It'll be really easy to hit you because you'll be right in front of all of them. I mean, I want you to understand that God doesn't always call us to do easy things. I really do want you to understand that. It's important. We have a, a misunderstanding in culture today that if I'm a Christian, things will just be easy. That's really, no, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that. In fact, quite the opposite seems to be the picture the Bible paints. Now, life will be challenging and hard. And if you dare to lead, to take on the mantle of leadership, it will be even harder and more difficult. Moses is leading these people. God called him, and hereafter, God's called Moses, and all that he's been through, he says, go stand in front of these people that are ready to kill you. <laughs> Second verb, 
Take. Don't go by yourself. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. And again, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and then go. Go, take, take, and go. Then God says, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Hear this word very carefully. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And here, these are such important words. So Moses did this. He did exactly what God asked him to do. Exactly. God said, go do this, stand in front of the people, strike the rock, and he did it. He did it in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So Moses did what God asked him to do. The water came forth and the people drank. They and their livestock. It's a pretty neat story. But time goes by. 40 years goes by. Man, a lot's happened with these people over the course of those 40 years. There's the great falling away when the people refuse to listen to the spies that have spied out the promised land. There's God's punishment that says a whole generation will die off before they enter the promised land because of their disobedient hearts and unwillingness to trust God. And a brand new generation now is coming into their own. And as we come to the end of those 40 years, we're probably 37 or 38 years in, we find that God has led them back to almost and perhaps even exactly the same place where their parents had grumbled against the Lord, where their parents had tested God and had quarreled against Moses and God. And we see an incredible thing. <laughs> Time goes by and things are changing slowly. Miriam, the sister of Moses, has died. Moses and Aaron will die very soon. Joshua is about to be appointed as the next leader. And here we stand on the edge of the promised land once again. Same God. Same staff in Moses' hand. Virtually the same place. And while I can't prove this, I will tell you some scholars have even suggested they were in the presence of the exact same rock. But there is a new generation and there is a new mission in front of them. And I want you to understand something. God has decided to do a new thing. He wants to do a very new thing, a very different thing. But what is interesting is that Moses gets hooked. He's hooked by the, the familiar, the comfortable. He, he's, he's hooked by the past. 
The idea is this, the things that have worked out in the past worked fine, so why try something different? Why try something new? <laughs> Numbers chapter 20 gives us this account of Moses. In Numbers 20, verse 1, we read these words. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. They stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. And there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Sound familiar? <laughs> same frustration about the same place. They quarreled with Moses and listen to the words that they speak, the exact same words as their parents. <laughs> oh, I hate that reality. I've heard my kids use my words before. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced this. It's a terrible feeling, isn't it, when you realize that you've just said something your parents said? It usually happens pretty early on, right? You, you get married and you become a parent and you, you really think there are things that you're not going to do the way your parents did them, right? When you were a child and your parents said, you know, hey, you're going straight to bed early because of whatever it is you've done, and you laid in your bed, and you thought, man, when I'm a parent, I'm not making my kid go to bed early. I'm not going to do that to them. I'll be a better parent. I'll be a nicer parent. I'll listen. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment, right, where your kids do something that has just absolutely exasperated you, and you're like, go to bed. That's it. And as your kid sulks off to the bedroom, you're like, oh, no. I just did it. It's in those moments you realize and have to accept your parents were geniuses. Man, I'm a genius. My parents were geniuses, and I was just a dumb kid. Well, we have a tendency to be like our parents. And that's what happens in this story. Here we are 40 years later, and these kids and grandkids, these people are saying the exact same things their parents said. The exact same things, with one difference. You know, their parents, when they had said, let's go back to Egypt, they had actually been slaves. So for the parents, they were saying, let's go back to being slaves again. It's easier than what we're doing here. These young people have never been enslaved. They've been a free people. And as a free people, they are so upset, they're like, we should just go back and be slaves again like our parents were. Someone should just take care of us. Yeah, it's hard life and it's not easy, but hey, they have to give you bread and water every day. So they say the exact same thing their parents said. If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Rather pessimistic people, they were really prone to grumbling and complaining. There's a reason the Bible frequently talks about God really doesn't like grumbling and complaining. But if we're honest, it is like a, it's like society's favorite pastime is to see what we don't like and complain about it. We're really not that different than our forebears. And they say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to die? Why did you bring us to this terrible place? 
It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates. There is no water to drink. There is a thing that we sometimes do, all of us. We have to be willing to check ourselves. We begin to fall into the problem of thinking about scarcity. And we focus on what we don't have, and we completely forget all the things that we do. They have lost sight of who is with them, the Lord of hosts. They've lost sight of the mission to get them to the promised land. And they grumble and complain once again. Now Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting. And they fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Here's a really interesting thing. You would think that when you hear the phrase, and the glory of the Lord shone upon them, that that would always be a, a harbinger of really good things to come. But in the Old Testament, especially when you read these words, what happens next is almost always some kind of judgment that's brought forth, some kind of difficulty that's brought forth. And it indicates God was fully present in this moment, and he hears their grumbling, and he hears their complaining, and he's about to do something. So the glory of the Lord appeared to Moses and to Aaron. Now let's listen really carefully again to the verbs in the command in this familiar place. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. And here's the word that's so important to the story. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. You catch the difference this time from the last time? The first time, the word was strike. It was important. God is firmly establishing Moses as their leader. He wants them to follow the leading of Moses in this time that is to come because Moses is going to share the law with them. It's important they see him as a leader, as a provider. And so just like he had struck the sea and it had parted and they saw that he had the staff and that when he touched it, it was powerful. And it was definitely the idea of building up leadership that Moses was important but now they're on the edge of something new. They're heading to a new place. And, and what God wants for them is less of a dependence on a man or a woman or a person to be their leader and for them to understand that God is their leader. And I want you to understand the difference here, right? In the first story, right, Moses is all these things and, it, and the people think, okay, <coughs> I can't part the sea, I don't have the staff. I can't be the person uh, that does all these great things. That, that's someone that God picked with, with fire on a mountain. But in the second instance, as they head to the promised land, 
God now is wanting to shift the focus of leadership away from Moses to him. I want you to follow me. And here's the incredible thing. Check this out. You don't have to have the magic stick, so-called. You don't have to have seen me on the mountain in fire. Because the thing I'm going to show you is that I respond to when you speak with me. I respond. And if Moses does this thing, it's very clear that it's not about Moses. That's about God. God wants to do a new thing. But Moses is caught in the moment. And he gets hooked by, I think, his anger and his frustration. And in his anger and his frustration, he falls back on what he knows instead of the new thing that God's calling him to. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly in front of the rock. So far, so good. He's done everything God asked him to do. He and Aaron gathered them in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And as soon as you hear that phrase, you go, "Uh Uh-oh, who's getting the credit here? Must we bring this out? Must we do it again? Is it all about us? God wants them to see himself. God is the provider, not Moses and Aaron. And Moses raises his arm. He struck the rock twice with his staff. That's not at all what God said to do. And water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. Do you know that for the rest of the time, from this event to Jesus, Israel will have a recurring problem with leadership? Oh, there will be some great leaders. Joshua will prove himself a remarkable, faithful servant of God. There will be other leaders that will be great leaders for a time. And then they will struggle as a king. Hezekiah may be one of those people. David might be linked as one of those people from time to time. And there will be horrible leaders. And they'll anger God. They'll ask for a king. Give us a man to lead us like Moses. When the new thing that God wanted to do was for them to be his people and him to be their God. And that every single person would be able to do what Moses did. Not bring water, but speak to God and see things happen. It was a big mistake. And God noticed. He understood what this meant. Instead of the transition to a new thing, to a new way of seeing what God wanted to do, 
we reinforce the old. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, I know why you did it. And it might surprise you, the word he uses. It's because you did not trust. You didn't trust in me enough. So you just did what was familiar. You did what worked in the past. You were unwilling to try the new thing I had for you. And because you didn't trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. This is such a bitter pill. (laughs) Moses has been on this journey for at least 80 years, seeking the Lord and being involved in freeing and liberating these people and getting them to the promised land. And right here on the doorsteps, right here, so close to completing the mission, he falls back on the familiar. And God says, listen, this is a big error. And I don't know about you, but this is one of the things that I really don't like, and maybe you don't either, right? We don't like the thought that sometimes our mistakes, they hurt us. In this case, the failing of Moses didn't just hurt him, it it hurt others. And the truth is, most of the time our sins do hurt others. Very rarely does a sin only hurt us. And there are consequences to sin. Not always a punishment in the way this will come, but there are consequences for sin. Because all sin leads to death. Now, thankfully, by the grace of God, Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins. But there are still consequences. And for Moses and Aaron, this means they will not lead the people into the promised land. Even though they led them all the way to the door. Now, before you think that God might harbor his anger towards Moses forever, I remind you of a glorious moment in the future when Jesus has come and he's on the Mount of Transfiguration with some of his disciples and they look up and they actually see Jesus with Moses and Elijah. Moses will definitely have his place in the promised land. But he's not the one who leads them there. Now these were the waters of Mirabah, that is the word for quarreling, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. He was proved holy. (laughs) This is something that I want you to know is even though Moses really blew it and it had consequences, God was bigger than all of that. And ultimately, we still get to Jesus and Jesus will teach us how to talk to God He will show us the way. All is not lost, even though Moses has failed in this task of embracing the new. There are some takeaways that I just want to give you as we finish our time this morning from this story. Here's the first one. I think it's important for us to hold the past loosely. We must remember what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present. Peter once said in 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, as he was contemplating his own end from the earth, he said, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. There absolutely are things of God that he has done, that he has told us that we should never let go of. And we shouldn't throw them out, or we shouldn't discard them just because they're old. They're things that we have to hold on to. But there is also a lot of stuff in the past we have to let go of. This is why Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 say, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Forgetting what is behind. The implication is we should spend more time looking forward than looking back. One of our elders is fond of a, a statement from Luke chapter 9, verse 62, where Jesus says to them, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There are things we have to change, and one of them is looking forward and not looking back. Romans chapter 6 tells us that our old man should be crucified with Jesus so the body of sin could be destroyed, that henceforth we would not serve sin, that we would move towards becoming the new man in Christ. Spend more time looking forward than looking back. You know, the Israelites spent the better part of 40 years grumbling and complaining, and on the edge of the promised land, they pined away for the land of slavery. And we must be careful not to do the same thing. Forget what is behind. Strain towards what is ahead. And trust that God's way, new, old, or otherwise, is always the best way. God's way is always the best way. Moses knew it even though he couldn't always do it. Moses, as he wrote these words, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. The writer of Proverbs says, in all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your path. Jesus' words and his instructions to the Apostle Paul shine through yet again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Out with the old, in with the new. You know, maybe for some of us in this place today, maybe this is the time to try something new. Especially if you've never given your life to Jesus. Especially if you've not made him your Lord and your Savior. You see, he wants to do a new thing in you. And if you're a faithful Christian and you have followed the Lord for 40 years like Moses, do you think that God's work in you is complete and finished? Or is it possible he's calling you 
to something new, something different, something better. Whatever your circumstance, I hope that you will be faithful to not only hear the Lord this morning, but to do what he calls you to do. As we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. Thank you.